You're listening to a classic business podcast as heard on Classic 1027. 1027. Alrighty, welcome back to Classic Business. My name is Peter Riedlinger, standing in for Michael Avery this evening and this week, in fact. Uh, and now we are in the last section of our show this evening. Uh, and I have two guests that I'm really excited to chat to. Uh, one is Pinky Satole, uh, who has a podcast. And the other is known as the Finance Ghost, a man of mystery, who also has a podcast. Um, and both of these podcasts are sort of focused on financial education, uh, investment education, and personal finance matters. Like, you know, so I think let's start with Pinky. Pinky, good evening. Uh, Thank you for joining us. Uh, good evening, Petri. Thank you so much for the invitation. It's a and pleasure. Good evening to you, Yeah, so, um, and also, Ghosty, good evening to you too, sir. Hello, Petri. Hello, Pinky. Good to be here. All right. Thank you guys for joining us. So, I, I think that we've seen, well, firstly, I want to give you guys some credit, right? Um, I think that over the last couple of years, I mean, I know on, on, on uh, you know, Twitter, there's a, there's a bunch of meme accounts uh, you know, doing the, the TikTok investor memes, right? Where people really give very, very poor investment advice um, on uh, on TikTok. You guys, however, don't necessarily do that. You don't give investment advice to start off with. But um, you, you each have a podcast that focuses on, well, for, at least from my perspective, educating your listeners. And this is something that I think uh, where I want to give you a bit of credit because I think you guys have a hand at changing uh, consumer and investor behavior. There's this stigma that, you know, you need money to make money. Investing is really high barrier to entry. And thanks to guys like you, uh, you're breaking those barriers down. So, Pinky, uh, maybe you can give us a bit of a, a rundown of what your podcast is about um, and, you know, what your focus point is. Thanks, Pinky. So, it's as you've described, it is to just share how one can build wealth, to share more information about personal finance, and to make it less scary. I think because you've touched on a very important point is that for a long time, investing was kind of scary for a lot of people and seemed to be for wealthy people, but it's for everybody. It is to assist us to build wealth and just how to navigate um, the world of personal finance and investigate and investing matters. And that's what I aim to do really is to put it in simple language and to help anybody, whether you're starting with 10 rand, 50 rand, 100 rand, how you can actually start to build that generational wealth for your family. Okay, all right. And taking sort of that fear out of it, right? This uh, stigma. Well, it's not really a, a stigma, but it's this thing of like, well, I can't invest. I don't, I don't, yes. I don't earn enough money to invest. Exactly. Uh, and I think another thing, uh, I mean, as well with uh, the finance goes, he also does an awesome job. He even has a newsletter that I'm a big fan of uh, that comes out, I think, every Tuesday, if I'm not mistaken. And the whole idea is to take that stigma and to just make people aware it's not for the person that's really wealthy. It is for us to become wealthy and it is for us to share information. And I agree that we don't give financial advice necessarily but we do share information and just try and break it down into simple components for the everyday layperson to understand. Because the one fear that even I had when I started investing was just the jargon and the people that were in, in, the, in the investing field and understanding brokers and how to, you know, what is the market order. So just breaking down all this jargon and the terms used in the finance world to basic or simple English and simple language for anybody to understand and not be fearful. And because we know that once a person is empowered with information, it is much easier for them to make a decision. It is much easier for them to become a better investor and to obviously see their money grow and compound over a period of time. 
Yeah, and it's a bit of an it's a bit of an addictive feeling also if you see okay, you know, put your five hundred yeah. a month in every month, but then you look like it's a year later, it's like, whoa, it's actually some money here, right? Exactly, um, it is very And I mean, I guess from a uh, you know target audience perspective, are you sort of wanting to get the message through to young adults or to high school goers? I mean, who are the people that you think are the most that most need to hear uh, you know the lessons? When I initially started sharing, I think, a bit of my journey and what I've learned in the past few years, it was really aimed at young adults. But I've realized that I've got quite a following within uh, high school students, grade 11, grade 12, which is good. And somebody was saying to me, you know, my podcast is in such a simple language that they were able to share it with their brother who's a tween and even with their mother. So I think anybody can actually learn something and anybody can get the information that they require, especially if it's broken down into basic and simple everyday language. And yeah, but I'm very passionate about youth development and the youth starting to invest because if I start investing at 16 and I invest 50 rand, as I get older, I have less or I need to put away less in order to reach my retirement goals. Unlike if I start at the age of 35, I need to put away more uh, because the compounding time obviously is reduced. So it is good to reach youngsters, whether in high school or just people starting out in the workplace or starting their own businesses. Okay. All right. Awesome. All right. And we're gonna move, we're gonna we're gonna we're gonna interrogate the ghost for a second, um, because Mr. Ghosty, the man, the mystery, the legend, uh, we don't really know who you are. So, good evening and welcome. Thanks, Jetch. I'm glad to hear that because it's intended that way. I'm also glad to hear that Pinky reads a ghost mail every Tuesday morning. That's exciting news. So, uh, yeah, um, tell us a little bit about your podcast. I mean, you, you also sort of focus more on uh, sort of investor education. Um, again, not really straying into the realm of like, hey, you should buy this and sell that, um, but more around, well, what are you drive, what is driving your investment decision? Let's understand the businesses. Let's look at how economies and markets work. Um, maybe give us a bit of an intro around, uh, you know, what the nature of the content is that you do. Yeah, exactly. So the Finance Ghost has become a bit of an ecosystem, actually. It's not just the podcast, it's the weekly mailer. I write Insconnect every day now. Um, you know, there's been a bunch of stuff that's kind of come through. And the podcast we're talking about is called Magic Markets, which I co-host with an ex-colleague and good friend of mine, Mohammed Mella. Uh, See, I know who he podcast. is. I don't know who you yeah. are. <laughs> You know, it, it works out well that way. And uh, <laughs> anyone who, who's listened to financial media in South Africa for a few years will probably know the name. And, you know, most fantastic, and he brings a, a very good macroeconomics angle to a lot of things. And I bring more of a sort of equities investment, corporate finance background. I mean, that is my background. I've spent a number of years in banking and corporate finance. And I think the passion for me is to address what I like to call the missing middle. So there's a lot of content out there that teaches basic personal finance. You know, don't go and buy clothes on credit at 21% a year. And then there's a lot of institutional knowledge, which is inaccessible and very expensive. And you either need to have very large broking accounts or you need to be, you know, a professional investment manager to get your hands on that research. And then there's not much in the middle. So I looked at this and thought, well, it actually started it last year, kind of when the pandemic was taking hold. And I thought people who want to learn and who want to take more control of their investment decisions, who want to have higher quality conversations with their advisors, how do they upskill themselves? People are busy. They don't have time to go and buy a course now and try and figure it out from the start. They need to learn the practical, hard-hitting insights and knowledge that will help them make better decisions. And that was the idea with the finance growth. It's not to teach the absolute basics. 
It's to take institutional level knowledge and explain those concepts and principles in a way that hopefully most people can understand, provided they are at least obviously educated to a certain level. As I say, I'm not trying to do the very basic stuff. And it just helps them make better decisions with their money. Okay. All right. And... um I mean, I think both of you guys have had uh, sort of a, a huge uptake in listenership over the last couple of um, over the last couple of months. You, you know, I think a um, couple of things. One, the pandemic sort of brought the stock market into people's uh, focus. This is something that I think we've seen with the likes of Robinhood um, and the rise of the at-home uh, tween. It's a terrible word. Um, sort of day trader who now you know wants to go all in game stonk and that type of stuff, right? Um, and I think that this is this has helped you guys obviously you know reach an audience um, which is growing very very fast. I think at least from from my perspective, I guess you guys are the ones who see the the, the numbers. But um, I think it's having quite a big impact on the market. I think the, the question that I'm working my way up to is you know um, I'll, I'll start with the ghost. What do you think is the sort of primary thing that people come, you know, they start reading your, your ghost mail uh, every week and they start listening to the podcast. From there, you know, people reach out, people ask questions. What are the things that they most commonly ask? What are the problems that people are sort of struggling with? I think the biggest eye-opener for a lot of people is that just because you use a company's product or you like that business anecdotally as a consumer doesn't mean it's actually a great investment. So this is a mistake that people make when they just don't have experience in the market, they look at something and they don't realize the importance of evaluation. And that's something that I try and talk about quite a lot is you can't just decide, okay, well, I use Zoom a lot. Let me go buy shares in Zoom. There's so much more to the decision than that. And I get a lot of questions back from people along those lines. You know, where do I find information? How do I even start to understand this? Where can I read further? And I find people start at Ghostmail, as you say, and they start to get to grip with concepts like tomorrow morning's one is going to be all about REITs and property funds and explaining how they work. Then they start to read stuff like Insconnect, which is a kind of daily news platform. Then eventually they might start buying the financial mail and they'll find sort of my most advanced work sitting in the investors monthly supplement in there. And it's just people coming through the ranks, learning first and foremost, evaluation actually matters. Then kind of how to do it, how to compare it across companies. And it just opens their eyes to this world of questions that they need to suddenly start asking, it almost makes them realize there's so much more to it than their mate around the bribe with a hot investment idea or the TikTokers that you've already mentioned, the sort of stonks always go up. You know, like that's such a dangerous culture. It's brought a lot of people into the markets, which I think Pinky and I have both certainly benefited from. And it's great to see people having interest in it. But at the end of the day, people need to spend a lot of time and effort and energy getting up to speed and genuinely unlocking the skill set they need for sustainable success. Because last year, it wasn't difficult to make money in the market. You could pretty much just throw in dots. It's going to get harder, and we're already seeing that happening. Yeah, I think you touched on something um, that's relatively important, the importance of valuations, right? I think people often go out and buy brands that they know or things that they're excited about and can push share prices way beyond uh, you know, what they're really worth. It was a good example with, uh, with the BE scheme in the last week or so. Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly right. With SADs and Vela Kabile. That's yeah. trading now three times its net asset value. To the point that the company put out a sales announcement last Friday reminding people what the net asset value is which is not something you will see every day when the directors are 
trying to quietly say that they're worried about the share price. <laughs> I mean, w- what drives something like that? Do you think that's just misinformed public? Um, I think, you know, that's a couple of things, really, if I can just opine, opine here for a second. Um, I think that we've seen some very, very successful BE schemes in the past uh, where people have invested relatively small amounts and have walked away very, very wealthy. Uh, a good example of that was the, uh, I think it was the p- first Patuma Futi scheme with Mnet Supersport. I mean, those guys made huge returns, right? Um, and I think that you've got this sort of, well, these BE shares, you know, only go up. Um, and people just buy them at any price without really doing the homework and saying, well, actually, what is this thing worth? Yeah, so, so there's a lot of homework you need to do in these things. I'll be very interested to hear Pinky's view on this as well, but they're always leveraged structures. They've always got debt sitting in them. And there's so many nuances to it. What is that debt funded at? How much debt is in there? It's almost like a little property fund. It's typically a very highly leveraged structure. And when it goes well, it goes very well. And when it goes badly, it goes very badly, like all great leveraged structures. And Don't I think trade derivatives, seen, kids. Yeah, exactly. And I think what we've seen with SAB, and as I said, I'm very keen to hear Pinky's views on this, is it's almost like South Africa's own GameStop. We've had a lot of retail investors who the previous SAB scheme made a lot of money, and they've seen that. And without doing the research, they go, okay, SAB's a big brand. I know the previous scheme was very successful. I'm just going to climb into this thing. And as the price starts to run, they go, well, it's doing so well. Look, you know, let me buy more. And uh, eventually it's the old the bag holder story, you know. It reaches a point where it just runs out of buyers. <laughs> and when people then start selling and taking profits, it's then on a one-way street back down. So I guess to, to I mean, the, the wise, the prudent course of action here would be to just kind of wait a while because at some point that price correction is probably coming. Um, and then you can buy. But Pinky, yeah, I think uh, I'm also quite curious to see, to hear what your, your view is. Yeah, I think you guys know my view. I'm highly disappointed with what happened with SEB. Uh, first of all, the process was just atrocious because the shares, as we discussed, are for you know people that qualify under the BE Act. But for people to first get access to them was almost impossible, and SEB was not helpful at all in terms of their help desk and who the brokers that were accredited to actually offer these shares. So I think from that point already, it was just bad. And secondly, the stock was highly illiquid. I remember I put in bids at 45 rand per share the Friday that it opened. And I did not see any successful trades. It was already like over 60 bucks by lunchtime. And I think by the afternoon, it was already close to about 110 rand, which I found ridiculous. And I agree with uh, with Ghosty. If we look at um, the net asset value, this particular share should be trading between 45 rand and what 58 rand plus minus. I mean, um, there's quite varying uh, views out there, but definitely should not be above 60 rand. And for it to be currently 180 rand is absolutely ridiculous. And you then have to ask yourself, how liquid is this particular stock? But at the same time, is it kind of like a meme? Has it become a meme stock? Because as we've said, it's not a given that the previous um, SADs and delicious were so successful. It's not a given that these ones will be. There is still quite a lot of debt that needs to be serviced over a period of time. And of course, we know that dividends are also not guaranteed. So how many South Africans can buy, I don't know, 100 of these shares at 180 rand? Mm. And how many of them will hold on for five, six, seven years to potentially see those returns? Because at this moment, it makes absolutely no sense. There was actually a great article in MoneyWeb last week. I can't remember who the writer was, where he actually broke down some of this. And I think the sentiments within the industry and within 
most retail investors, we really do feel that this particular price is unjustifiable at all. But also, again, going back to how accessible these BE shares were and going forward, we also question this. If the BE shares are really made for the so-called disadvantaged or previously disadvantaged, how accessible are they? How easy is it to sign up and actually get a piece of that business at a reasonable price? Because mm-hmm. at this particular point in time, you are much better off if you buy a BNB share. Just a normal share, yeah. That makes more sense. There's more value in that business. It does pay a relatively good um, dividend, and the growth potential still is very, very good. So, if you look at the financials um, of AB Inviv uh, as a standalone outside of the SEB Sakele uh, shares, you're actually better off buying AB Inviv a share. I mean, you can buy, you can buy fractional shares now. So, if you don't have a thousand rand plus minus of whatever the current share price is, but you're better off buying that and potentially get better returns. So, yeah, I'm quite disappointed in the SAB Rendelegabili um, share scheme. And, yeah, we will see. Hopefully, the price does get to a reasonable a reasonable point in the coming weeks. Uh, it might be months, though. So, yeah, it will be interesting to see what happens at that particular price. So, I wonder now, this... Maybe, the, yeah, sorry, okay, I just wanted to add to that. You know, I, I went and read the prospectus. Thankfully, not every word, because I think it would have taken me three years. And... The prospectus is a highly regulated document. They have to have a lot of stuff in there. But I think it was about 300 pages. And even with the decade of experience I have in the markets and all the corporate finance work I've done, it still took me quite some time to actually unpack that prospectus to just figure out the numbers, see where they are, how do they get to the NAV, what's going on here, how many shares. I mean, there's no point in that prospectus that it actually say how many AB and Bev shares are even in the structure. You have to actually go and find it in a footnote of at what price they've worked it out. I mean, I guess to just echo Pinky's point, and obviously I wouldn't have been part of trying to apply for shares because I don't qualify, so I didn't see that leg of it. But I did see the other leg, which is the public documents available to help you make an investment decision. And they were exceptionally complicated. And I can't say that I've seen a great explanation of the structure other than the exact same MoneyWeb article, which I also read. I think it was written by Craig Gradage and the team at Gradage Mahuri. And it was great. And it was the first time I'd seen something that actually genuinely tries to just break down in simple terms how the NAV of that thing works. So, and, and this sort of opens another question, right? If distribution was a problem, so there wasn't easy enough access. And then um, uh, your very popular platform, Easy Equities, uh, listed it. So, I mean, how much of this question, how much of this price spike is people not knowing where to find the door and eventually when one was found, everybody rushed through the same door at the same time? Do you yeah, think that's... I think there, there could well be an element of that. And I think it's just any illiquid stock always has the chance of doing this kind of thing, up or down. And liquidity is just such an issue in these schemes. I mean, Solby is an exact copy of Sassel, but it trades at half the price because it has limited ownership, it's actually exactly what I wrote on last week in Ghost and I was around liquidity and in the context of the Competition Commission decision to block the Burger King sale and what that does to the valuations of empowerment stakes across the country when you make them even more illiquid than they currently are. I mean, it's, it's a major problem. Yeah. I think we're straying a little far from, from where we started off, <laughs> but I think it's a good conversation. Um, one of the lessons that I've learned so far is that if you are going to list a BE scheme, list it on easy equities first, <laughs> right? Um, so that people can get access to it, right? They've got a million customers now. I mean, that's amazing. hundred percent, but it goes back to what I said about access. Um, 
I mean, the one one of the reasons why I decided to start a podcast and I've been so active on, on Twitter in terms of personal finance matters is to bring the information to people. And it all goes back to access because there are people who generally want to know more about how to invest. Uh, I think a lot of us, we grew up in an era of stock sales and pension, pension funds. But when you've got parents that being retired and realize their pension fund is not enough, to sustain them beyond uh, or into their retirement. And you realize that, uh, you know, stock sales are good, but most of that money really goes up in the air uh, within a few months of getting it back. So mm-hmm. investing really is a much better way to build wealth, to obviously compound by growing that money over a period of time and not only building passive income, but obviously the capital appreciation. And that is the information that we need to be empowered with. That is the information that we want to share with people out there. As Goldie said, uh, it is very important uh, to discard sometimes that, that, that rumor or that line that you need to invest in what in the companies that you know. Invest in the companies that you know, but read into them. What is the company doing? How are the financials looking? If you don't know, you can Google it. There's Investopedia, there's Ghosty, there's Ghosty's um, uh, subscription mail. There is so much information out there. We just need to get it to the people at the right time and in a language that they can understand. Because once we've empowered people and each person empowers the next person, we are going to build a community and a society that has enough knowledge to pass it on to the next generation. Yeah, and I and think should be for. if I can chime in on a few things, one, I think the investment uh, industry um, is immensely complicated in terms of the, the jargon and there's a huge amount of sort of assumed knowledge that you need to just really kind of know what's going on. Um, and that's, I think, a very challenging, steep learning curve for a lot of people that is very daunting. So simplifying that and making it easier for them is, is fantastic, right? Plain language. Uh, second, uh, pro tip, if you are wanting to do a bit of research to find out what a company is about um, and you've never done it before, whatever the company's website is, look for the investor relations tab and then go to the annual reports. Read at least three of them so that you get three years worth of annual reports under the belt. They're long and they're boring sometimes, but it gives you a very good breakdown of what the business is doing, what it's up to, what its opportunities are, what its threats are. And then, you know, any company that you want to buy, do that and make a decision based on, um, you know, if I had all the money in the world, would I buy this entire business or not? Um, If the answer is no, then don't buy the share. If the answer is yes, then, you know, buy as many as you'd like. I couldn't agree more. Okay, well, we've got about three minutes left, guys. I think uh, what I would like to do is give you each the opportunity to um, tell us how to find your podcasts, how to find your content, how do we how do we find you on social media, how do we find you on uh, uh, all the you know iTunes stores and podcast stores. I'm not really sure how all those things work. Uh, Pinky, I'm going to let you go first, and we'll end with the ghost. Thanks, Pichi. Uh, my podcast is called Seven Figures Plus. It's on most of the platforms, uh, Google Podcasts, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Anchor, and you can find me on Twitter, at Pinky, P-I-N-K-Y, Sitole17. Um, that's me. So, yeah, I hope you follow me and you'll be able to give me good feedback as well. Thank All you. Right. Great stuff. Thank you. Uh, and Mr. Finance Ghost? So the window into the world of the Finance Ghost is easy. You go to thefinanceghost.com and you sign up for Ghost Mail, which is that Tuesday mailer that Pinky and so many others enjoy. It's completely free. That's always been very important to me. This is about accessibility. And in there, you'll find all the latest links to my work. But the podcast, if you want to find it on your favorite podcast player, is Magic Markets. And if you see a cool cartoon of a purple ghost and Mo the caricature, you're in the right place. 
And if you're looking for daily company news, um, I'm now in the managing editor of Inch Connect. That's I-N-C-E Connect. So you can Google that, sign up, or read it online, and, and that'll give you detailed uh, news on the JSE. And yeah, just come and engage. Mail me questions. I reply to every single email with questions as to the extent that I can, and it'll be great to get more people reading and listening. I can I mail you a question, and it's a very simple one. Um, it's how do you get a job without using your real name? <laughs> <laughs> These are all the secrets of the finance show. You have right. to use Ghost now, PH, and you'll find all the stuff out. <laughs> all right, guys. Thank you very much for your time. That's all we have time for this evening. Um, I was Peter Riedlinger's hosting Classic Business this evening. Please follow us on Twitter at Classic1027. You know how many years that took me to find because there's a Classic FM in the US, which is not the same. So Classic1027 uh, for this radio session. Also, you can use the hashtag Classic Business if you have any questions or comments. We'd love to hear them. That's all we have time for. Until tomorrow, have a good evening.